The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Let me catch you up. If you don't know where we've been, what we've been talking about, uh, if when Brother John said cause, that meant nothing to you. Uh, if you've been playing Angry Birds for four weeks or whatever, then you can pause it. You can do that, all right? Pause it and look up here, all right? Uh, we've been talking about our vision for Christ Church. Our mission for Christ Church is very simple. And, and we've said it, it's been printed on things, is to know Him and make Him known. Jesus said it like this, to go and make disciples of all nations, all right? So love me and go talk about my love, all right? Go talk about who I am and get them to understand it, all right? Show them my love and make them disciples. Teach them everything I've taught you, all right? So go and make disciples of all nations. And a vision is simply putting legs on a mission, right? And so we've been talking about Christ, community, and church. It starts with Christ. It starts with our devotion to Him, okay? We're not, we don't exist as an organization to make ourselves famous, all right? I don't expect you to go out and tell people how great I am. I know that that's a temptation for you on a daily basis, but that's not what we're here for, all right? Restrain yourselves. We're not here just to gather to give us something to do. We're not even here just to bring food for potlucks. I know some of you are like, that's the reason I came. I understand that, but that's not our main reason. We're here because of Christ. We're here because of Him. We're here because of our devotion to Him. Not because He's useful to us. Not because, uh, not because of what He can do for us. But we're here because of Him. And one of the things that we do as a church to kind of show that devotion to Him, to kind of lean into Him, I, we talked about it as desperation, leaning into who He is, is on Wednesday nights at 5.30 to 8, that room right there off to the side, we very cleverly named it the side room. Get it? All right. Uh, in there, we open it up as a time for prayer. I, I type up every week a prayer guide and a prayer focus for us to be, to be focused as a church praying together. And it's open for you to come in and pray together or leave, pray with other people. Come in for five minutes. Come in for the entire two and a half hours, three and a half hours, however long it is. Math is hard, right? So anyway, that's one of the ways that we as a church express that Jesus is our foundation. The second thing is that in Christ, he's united us as a community. We exist together as a community. And a community, it's not just uh, uh, people who live near one another. It's not just people who, who we sit by each other for an hour every Sunday. A community are people who are deeply involved in one another's lives. And a community is also a group of people deeply involved in one another's lives and who are on mission together, who serve together. And so one of the things is in our church, we have communities that are already together. This group that's going out today to, to rake leaves and, and do things like that for other people, uh, that's a group that's been meeting already. They're already involved in one another's lives. They're, they're already serving together. But there's some of us who it's hard for us to get plugged in and, and you don't have that. And so we exist as an organization, as a church, to provide you simple avenues to to get involved. And so one of the ways that we're doing that is we've started something called community groups, all right? And some of you have already started meeting, all right, which is amazing. But anyway, uh, uh, what, what these will be uh, is simply groups that, that you'll meet, hopefully, preferably in homes. Uh, I'll provide discussion questions, maybe two max, uh, about the, the, the sermon. So kind of get you guys thinking about some things throughout the week. And then also there's two requirements. One, you have to serve together. And I don't care how you do it. You can do it in the church. You can do it outside 
outside of the church. What you have to serve together in the other is that you have to interact with people who aren't believers, with people who don't believe in Jesus. You have to interact with them once a month in some way. And again, I don't care how you do it, all right? I do care. Let me take that back. I do care to an extent, all right? If your interaction with lost people is going to Walmart and as people walk in, you hit them in the face with a Bible, stop. Stop doing that, all right? That doesn't count, okay? You have to do two more service projects for that, all right? I'm a terrible pastor. I just punished you with mission work, all right? But anyway, uh, so... Uh, community. So we have those. You can sign up online. You can use the bulletin tear-offs. And next week at 6 o'clock, we're going to contact you this week. You can meet with us in here. Uh, if, if you're interested, we'll talk more about it and kind of even divide you into groups then. It's going to be a cool night. I'm excited. And lastly, cause. So Christ has moved us into community, which community only exists in mission. It only exists. It's bond together around what Jesus cares about. And so we're giving you opportunities for that. All right? Donnie and I are really excited about some things going on uh, with our mission ministry and and in fact at the end of the week this Saturday uh, we've got a sidewalk Sunday school set up in Frazier where we're going to go to the Ed Rice Community Center uh, feed some kids give them give them clothes hang out with them just love on them um, and share Jesus with them it's going to be a great time Uh, we're going to talk more about it at the end and give you an opportunity to sign up and come volunteer with us I know that every single one of the students will be there I know that for a fact I know all of you will be there Thanks for the excitement, one fist in the air. Uh, so anyway, I know they'll be there, so you better be there as well. So anyway, um, so that's where we've been, all right? And let me explain it, what my day yesterday was. It was a tough day. And you say, Grant, how in the world could it have been a tough day? The Tigers killed UAB, right? Like, that's a good day. How did Southern Miss lose to that team? That is a terrible, terrible team, all right? But anyway, uh, uh, they, beat, they beat them by like 40. So you're thinking like, man, that's a good day. But let me tell you why it was a tough day. All week, I've been in the book of Acts, and I've been preparing this message out of the book of Acts. And so Friday night I go to bed and I'm like, man, this is going to be good. I really like where we're going. This is going to be a really good thing. I wake up Saturday and I'm reading over it and I go, this is terrible. Like this is what I've been working on all week. Like it was just, I just it didn't connect. I was like, this, this isn't going to be helpful. It's not going to be useful. It's just like, why did I write this? Like where did this come from, right? And so I spent the whole day, I just sat down and for hours and hours and hours of just reading the Word of God and going, God, I have nothing. Like, I don't know, I have no idea where to go. I don't know where you want me to go. I thought I knew, and apparently that is not where you want me to go, all right? So I don't, I have no idea where you want me to go. And he pointed me to the book of Titus. And you go, there's a book of Titus? Yes, all right? Uh, if you do not have a Bible, you can grab the little white Bibles under your chairs. Uh, you can turn to page 857, page 857. If you have a smartphone, and you want to pause your games, your words with friends or whatever, uh, you can download a Bible app. If you don't have one, just go to the app store, search for Bible. Uh, the first one to pull up, usually version. That's, that's a good one. That's the one I like. Anyway, find the book of Titus. Let me give you some background about Titus, all right? Titus was a convert of Paul. This is a letter from Paul to Titus, and he's on the island of Crete, all right? Now, the island of Crete, uh, it, ha- it was an interesting place. It had interesting people, and, and it wasn't the best place to live. Uh, and, and you might say, I disagree. Like, I think we have a picture of Crete. We'll put up here in a moment. But anyway, if you can see it, uh, uh, it, it seems like a really nice place to live. Like, I could live there, all right? Like, yeah, it's an island. But let me tell you, uh, Titus 1.12 says this. Um, one of the Cretans, isn't that a terrible name? Uh, anyway, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. 
All right, so it's not the nicest place in the world, all right? And so Titus is there, and, and Paul has sent him there to set up elders, okay? And so the first part that we're going to see in Titus is that he's giving qualifications for elders, to set up people to lead the church, okay? And then he goes into the, the behavior of all Christians, all right? If you're a Christian found on the island of Crete, this is how you are to behave, and obviously that's a universal truth. And so he starts giving qualifications for all believers. And I believe it's summed up in chapter 2, verse 13 through 14. It says, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus, who gave himself for us for what purpose? And here it is to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So look at that real quick. Redeem us from all lawlessness. So he's come to save us from ourselves. Then he says to purify for himself a people for his own possession. So he's come to save us from himself and to save us to himself. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And lastly, it says, who are zealous for good works. So he gives us a purpose. Keep reading in 2 Corinthians 5. Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So he reconciled us to himself and then he gave us that ministry to go and do among other people. And that word zealous literally means to boil over with passion. And does that describe you as far as good works? Does that describe you that you boil over with passion for it? Now we boil over with passion for many things. I'm sure there are things in your life that you're zealous over. Some of you are zealous over sports, right? Like some of you are big Tiger fans, right? Some of you might even be Southern Miss fans, but that's stupid. They're terrible, right? Uh, my brother-in-law's here. Anyway, moving on. Uh, the, uh, uh, maybe you're zealous for sports. Maybe you're zealous for your work. Maybe you're zealous for your family. Anyone in here um, like, like boil over with passion for their spouse, right? Couple of, uh, apparently we have a couple of newlyweds. That'll fade, all right? So anyway... But this theme carries over to the final chapter of the book, and this is where we're going to be today. We're going to be in Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, all right? So here we go. Um, uh, let's, let's just get at it, at it today. Um, let me read that, that first verse for us. Um, be, uh, it, says, it says there, well, let me give you the main theme. I'm sorry. In verse 1, let me give you the main theme. And underline this, if you will. Be ready for every good work. Be ready for every good work. This is the main point. This is what we're going to see in this whole, uh, these, these 11 verses that we're going to unpack together. Be ready for every good work. If you have a pen, underline that, all right? If you don't have a pen, get mascara, lipstick, whatever you can get, underline that. Highlight that. Earmark that. Be ready for every good work. This is our command today. Be ready. It literally means to be prepared like the Boy Scouts, right? Their, their motto was what? Be prepared. Which, by the way, my parents are moving out of their house at the end of the week, and if you want to come help them move, that would be fantastic. But they're moving out of their house, and we're finding things. You know what I mean? Like you're finding things we thought we had lost, and we keep finding the Pinewood Derby cars. And I'd like to confess a sin for my father real quick. Um, how many of you raise your hand when you're in Boy Scouts, your dad made your Pinewood Derby cars, and the only time you're allowed to touch it is when the, the paint dried? Anyone else? Anyone? So we get this car. My dad's a wonderful artist. They were beautiful. They were the worst cars in the world. Like, they were just, they were all, they, they wouldn't go downhill. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, they were beautiful, but they just wouldn't work. And, you know, and then they ask you, they say, like, did you make this? And we look at dad, and he's, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yep, we made it, right? We're a unit. So anyway, 
Be ready, be prepared, all's forgiven. All right, so be ready, be prepared. And then he says every, which implies that there are different good works. There's a lot of different good works. And God might call you to something extreme. He might call you to something that might stretch you. God absolutely has called us all to things that might stretch us. And usually our response is, "Uh, no, thank you. But he's saying be ready for every good work. It's not just going to be when you feel like it. Does that make sense? Let's keep going. We'll explore that later. Be ready for every good work, or as we like to call it, and I know this is cheesy, and I'm sorry it sounds like a bumper sticker, God work. God is the ultimate definition of good, and so anything that we do for him in his name to meet the needs of other people, that's a God work, that's a good work, and that's what we're looking at here. So be ready for every good work. Now listen, you might be like me, and, and you, you might be very simple. Do you understand? You multitask and your nose bleed. Are you with me? All right. So you might be simple, and so for me, I just had to simply ask this. So I saw this, I said, be, be ready for every good work, all right? So as we break these 11 verses down, we're going to ask these three questions, because I'm simple, and maybe you're like me. How, why, and what? How, why, and what? Now, hopefully these scriptures will answer it. So let's look at how, how to be ready. Next to verse 1 and 2, write how, if you would. Write it right in your margin, write it over it, whatever you got to do, write how. How to be ready. How are we to be ready for every good work? Verse 1, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities to be obedient. So I believe they were told this for two reasons. Number one, Christians have a duty to their civil government. We see this in Romans chapter 13. Paul writes extensively about this. And let me read this real quick, beginning in verse 1. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you, for he is God's servant to do, your, to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He's God's servant and agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is, this is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let me make a few observations about this. Number one is this is a huge command for us to wrap our heads around because where's your ultimate allegiance? It's with Jesus. My ultimate allegiance belongs to what nation? The kingdom of heaven, right? That's my ultimate allegiance. But we need to understand how we fit in here. We're building a kingdom within a kingdom. Do you understand? So we need to understand how we relate. And now I believe that there absolutely are cases where Christians should resist resist authority when that authority contradicts our ultimate authority. And in issues of morality, when things come up in law that don't line up with what God has commanded us, we should resist. However, let me say this. I don't want you to go like down to city hall and throw a brick through the window, all right? And like whatever, you're going to yell something crazy. Here's what I, I believe that this isn't just a black and white, like you resist and you resist this way. I believe we resist gently I, re- I believe we resist with meekness um, and I believe this is a wisdom issue I believe as, as you seek God and you look in his word he will reveal to you different things about how you resist and what you're to resist to let me give you an example um, uh, abortion is, is an amazingly atrocious thing in our culture 
But, and so do, should we resist this law? Absolutely. But how is, is completely up to the wisdom of God in your life? There are pastors that I know that simply mention it. They feel like, like mentioning it to their people is their responsibility. There are pastors that I know who have gone and been arrested as they block the doors of Planned Parenthood and other situations like that. There are people who are, are, are very fighting it in a very active way, and there are people who you wouldn't call active in that same sense. And so I believe that's a wisdom of God. And so I'm not telling you to go to an extreme. I'm not telling you what to do what i'm simply saying is that seek the wisdom of god be meek like jesus is meek right and be gentle as he's calling us to be gentle um, when you do um so but god also uses earthly government we need to understand that that he uses it and so we must also have a willingness to submit to that authority because that authority exists because the sovereignty of god allows it to exist. Can I get on a soapbox for a moment? Is that cool? Can I get on one? Well, you're not, I got a microphone, so what are you going to do? All right, but anyway, I, I, the thing that bothers me about Christians in politics is, number one, that Christians sound the same as everyone else when they talk about politics. Christians sound like everybody else. They sound like everybody else who's complaining or upset. And, and so here, can I just say a few things real quick? Number one, when you talk about our president or any of our officials, would you be gentle when you talk about them, and would you do it in a respectful manner? And would you be constructive and not slanderous with your criticism? Be constructive and not slanderous. And, and lastly, don't act like the sky is falling. That's one thing that, that, that just makes me so upset when Christians talk about, like, our government and things, and they're just like, well, that's the end of that. America's not going to exist. We're all going to starve to death. Are you serious? Like, God, so God's just not in control of America anymore? Like, God just can't handle, God, God's not going to meet your needs anymore because someone voted in a bill you don't like, Right? Like, don't act like the sky is falling. Would you show confidence in God, even in the middle of things that might look like crisis? Would you please show some confidence in who God is? All right, move, I'm done. I'm off the soapbox. All right, so anyway, I believe they were told this because Christians have a duty to their civil government, but also it's the context of the Cretan political culture. It was very tumultuous. There, the people would rise up at almost at the drop of a hat if they felt like their needs were being threatened. By the, that their civil liberties were being threatened, they'd rise up against the government. And so resistance from Christians could cause problems with the church and the government. So they need to be wise about that resistance. If they are to resist, they need to be wise about it uh, because that could cause some tension. Resistance from Christians could also cloud their message to people. And here's what I mean by that. If you're a Christian who fights more about political issues than you do about the issues of Jesus, then people are going to start to believe that your hope and what you put your trust in is what you're fighting for. Does that make sense? And so people are going to start to misread your message. And they're going to start to think that, well, this person's hope is in this political bill or this political action taking place. Because that's what they're fighting so hard for. Rather than you fighting for the cause of Christ. Does that make sense? And so anyway, uh, we're told to, re to respect our government. Uh, but at the same time, uh, to, to when we do resist, resist gently. Look at verse 2. Speak evil of no one. And this is literally slander. And this means to speak at someone's expense. All right? So don't speak at someone's expense. So a member of the U.S. Uh, Senate uh, was known for a, a really, he had a really hot temper and, and just a, a rough tongue. And he, expl he exploded one day in mid-session. And he just stood up and he yelled, Half of this Senate is made up of cowards and corrupt politicians. And all the senators lost it, and they were so insulted and so upset, and they, they demanded that he withdraw his statement. So he finally calmed down. He said, okay, I withdraw what I said. Half of the Senate is not made up of cowards and corrupt politicians. 
So we can't be people of slander. We can't speak at people at the cost of other people. And so you say, well, what if it's a fact? What if what I'm saying is a fact? What if it's not just me trying to slander them? What if they did that or it really happened? That's true about them. Then it's a question of motive. And ask yourself this, is this helpful? Is what I'm about to say, is it helpful? Yeah, it might be true, but is it helpful? Is this going to be a helpful thing? And second, am I delighting in this? Do I delight in the fact that this will cause embarrassment, right? What's your motive when you bring this up? Keep going in verse 2. To avoid quarreling. Now this literally means ready to fight. This literally means ready to fight. Do you know anyone like this? That the drop of a hat is, hey bro, hey bro, we're going to jack bro, right? That's something I learned from the kids. I don't even know if that's appropriate. But anyway, uh, we're going to jack apparently is what they're saying now, all right? But anyway, uh, you know, people like that, I had a friend in high school who was uh, on steroids, and we didn't find this out until much later, but it was like at the drop of a hat, he would either cry or be ready to fight you, all right? Sometimes at the same time, which is awesome, right? Like someone just, just broken down in tears, like, oh, that, man, I'm going to take you out, man. Like, it's awesome. But anyway, this literally means ready to fight. In other words, let me say this, it means that don't be contentious, be peaceable, don't be contentious. Romans 12, 18 says, do all that you can. To live in peace with everyone. Do all that you can. Now this might be difficult for others more than it is for other people. Like, like for me, this is a very difficult one for me because I tend to run my mouth a lot and therefore stick my foot in it. Do you understand? So, so I've got to maybe think a little bit more before I speak. You know, I was talking to a parent one time about how um, like androgynous sometimes style is. And it's really difficult to understand. Like, like is it, all right, this little kid that just walked in, this is a boy or girl, right? You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, it's really, it's really confusing. And I said, like, like I pointed a kid out. And I said, like, for that, that kid right there, short hair, like, whatever. I, I'm, I'm a little confused. Like, is that a boy or girl? And this person said, uh, that's, that's my daughter. That's a girl and that's my daughter. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I said, look, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. Uh, that you were her father, and she said, I'm not, I'm her mother. And so anyway, like, they're, it's hard, it's hard, right? And so, so we have to go the extra mile to not be contentious, to not be argumentative. I heard someone in the church one time tried to argue with me as to what killed Goliath, right? Was it the stone hitting him, the impact, or when he fell to the ground, right? Someone tried, and I was like, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure when David took his sword out and cut his head off, that sealed it, all right? I'm not sure what, but I know that did it, all right? Like, that was it. That's for sure, right? And so, don't be argumentative. Don't be contentious, right? It's not worth it. Look at verse 2 continuing. Be gentle. Now, this is the complete opposite of being contentious. It literally means equitable, yielding, reasonable, and patient. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Jesus said, learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. When you have a conflict or a disagreement, are you reasonable? Are you patient, right? Let's keep going. Look at verse 2. To show perfect courtesy towards all people. This literally means a meekness. This literally means a humility and a consideration of others. And look what it says. All people. Not just the ones who are nice to you. Not just the ones who make you smile. Even the ones who get under your skin and who are contentious in themselves. You're to be courteous towards them and loving. Show them Christ in that way. And there are people in our lives that get right under our skin. You know what I'm talking about? Like if I have to talk to anybody from AT&T, right? Like I don't care who you are. Like I immediately am, wi- I'm, I'm kind of hoping 
that while we're on the phone, like a fire breaks out, like like at your office. Like I just, I just, it just kind of that gets under my skin. But we have to be courteous and we have to be loving in that way. So how are we to be ready? Let's recap. Be obedient to authority. Don't slander. Don't be contentious. Be gentle. Show courtesy to all people. Now let's go why. Write why next to verse 3. Can you write why next to verse 3? Why be ready for every good work? And I love this. I love that, that he didn't just give us a because. Well, because, right? He gives us an answer. Like kids, let me give you a little inside track. When your parents say because, it's because they either don't know or it's because they don't have a good reason, right? Now, parents, that should provide some fun on the drive home, all right? Like, you're welcome. All right, so moving on. Verse 3. For we, were, for we ourselves were once, what? Foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. This, this describes the lives of those who are now without Christ, but it also describes who we once were. And look at, this, look at the wording here. It, should not, it shouldn't inspire in us to look at people without Jesus and go, ha, 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 look how terrible you are, right? Instead, what should it do? Look at these words. They're, it describes victims. People who are foolish, led astray, slaves, passing our days. People who don't follow Jesus, I believe the scriptures are true. They're not stupid. They're not stupid. They're, they're, they can be very incredibly intelligent. They can be, in, they can be incredibly moral, right? They, they can be that, but, but they're blind. What the Bible says is that they're blind. They look at Jesus and they see foolishness, right? And so uh, we need to be kind and gentle. And so they're helpless and they're hopeless. But look at verse 4, just like we were. Look at verse 4. But, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, that's Jesus, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You were helpless. You were hopeless. You were undeserving. He saved you and gave you so much more than you could ever imagine. Not because of who you are, but because of who he is. Therefore, we can never look at someone in the eye and say well it's because of who you are you can't come to Jesus because the reality is I'm not saved because of who I am praise God I'm saved because of who he is right and because of what he has done and here's what it says let's keep reading this saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things so that those who believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works these things are excellent and profitable for people this saying is trustworthy He's saying believe it if you truly believe this if you believe this is the truth that God has saved you because of who he is and not because of who you are and God continues to save people not because of who they are but because of who he is then you will devote yourselves to good works you will devote yourselves to serving other people and so why 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 would we do that let's recap that real quick there's hope for anybody God did it for you and he didn't deserve it, but he did it for you, so he'll do it for them. He's given you the Holy Spirit to help you. There's a reward waiting for you, right? There's also a reward now. Look at that, that, that scripture ended with what? These things are excellent and profitable for people. There's a reward now. So let's recap before we get to, to, to who or what or whatever the last one is. One, how are we ready? Be obedient to authority. Don't slander. Don't be contentious. Be gentle. Show courtesy to all people. Why are we ready? There's hope. God did it for you. 
You have the Holy Spirit. There's reward waiting and there's reward now. Let's look at our last one. What are the enemies of readiness? What are the enemies of readiness? And these are the believer's traps. Look at verse 9. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. The Jews of the time uh, uh, would, would especially focus on these things, and they'd focus on genealogies. Well, so-and-so came from so-and-so, and, and I, I came from so-and-so, came from so-and-so, and, and, and whatever, and so I deserve honor, right? I deserve that, that praise, right? And, and, and then they, they would even start to dissect the law. And they'd say, well, technically, if you do this, then you're breaking the law. But if you don't do this, then, and if you do this, if you drink Coke and not Diet Coke, you get what I'm saying? Like they'd break it down, and they completely miss the whole meaning of all of it. And it can be summed up with that, that one phrase there, foolish controversies, which would be controversies that they really can't be settled, and it's not even fruitful, it's not even helpful to discuss it, right? To spend your time discussing it. Look at verse 9, it says, they're unprofitable and they're worthless. And you might say, how do Christians, how do modern day Christians do this? Because I've never heard a Christian sit around and say, well, my great, great, great grandfather was a preacher, and so uh, I will have a special place in heaven. I've never heard someone sit around as a Christian and dissect every little iota of the law, right? I haven't seen that, so how do we do it? I think we do it in a couple of ways. One is we argue and divide over non-essentials. And what I mean by non-essentials is unrelated to salvation and unrelated to the deity and the person of Jesus Christ, and we divide over those things. There's one, there's a great theologian, and I have even some of his commentaries. He's brilliant. However, he believes if you don't believe in a literal seven-day creation, then you can't be a Christian. He would divide fellowship over that, right? And so we do that. That's one way that we divide over one another. Another way is that some of us will sit in Bible study every Sunday, every Wednesday, every whatever day, every day that ends in Y. You'll sit in Bible study and you'll talk about Jesus, but the last time, you can't remember the last time you got off your butt and you went and you served God. And that's one of the ways we do it. And why do we do that? Why do we spin our wheels like that? I think one way is pride and vanity is that it makes us feel good, it makes us look good to do those things. And we want to win arguments because it makes me look how spiritual I am, right? I could use the Bible to prove my point. So part of it is pride and vanity. I think the second one is comfort. It's easier to say that I'm serving the Lord than to serve the Lord. You're going, wow, you, that, that took you all night to come up with? I know, all right? But seriously, it, that, that's what we do. We spin our wheels. And these are personal decisions that we make that destroy our readiness. But look at verse 10. Look at our, uh, verse 10 11, our last two verses. There are actions of other people who can destroy our readiness as well. Look, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He's self-condemned. I heard someone this past week say, well, you know, I've never seen the Bible where it says to write somebody off. And, and I, don't, I don't think it's always true that we should allow ourselves to be victims of other people at the cause of Christ, at the cost of the cause of Christ. And this is a good example. It's saying if people are stirring up division in the church, then they're rejecting the call of unity of Christ, and they're rejecting the person of Christ. If they're just trying to stir up controversy and stir up dissension. So here's what you do. You approach them, and if they won't repent, if you go back and back and they won't repent, then you get away from them. Don't let what Jesus is doing and you suffer because of their rebellion. And so I have two questions there. Is there someone in your life you need to address who's causing dissension? And lastly, are you that person? Are you that person? Because if you are, you've got a serious heart issue that you need to deal with. And God is gracious and kind and he's waiting to, to, to forgive you and take that from you. 
but you need to deal with it. Our, our, our challenge for, for today, and I'm closing here, is that we need to be ready for every good work. Don't miss the opportunity to bless someone, and don't miss the opportunity for God to bless you by you doing that 